episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake, and somewhere in Western Los Angeles. Oro was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to create a facility where alcoholics and drug addicts are treated with compassion and connection rather than control. They have many decades of experience in treating multiple coexisting mental health conditions, including severe mental illness. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is key if you're kicking dope or coke or crack or meth or alcohol or whatever you're kicking. A nice detox is always great. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Fucking equine therapy, surfing the spiritually potentially transformative sweat lodge and everyone that I know that have been to Oro can't say enough good things about it. So if you're willing to get better and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly suggest going to Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. As we all know, addiction is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Nearly 15 million people in the U.S. have an alcohol use disorder, and that's alcohol use only, not other drugs too. Only 10% of those people get treatment. This can be attributed to the stigma that surrounds addiction and how people don't want to talk about it. Soberlink supports the no-judgment zone that Dopey is and strives to erase the stigma of alcohol addiction. Their remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500,000 people to be more accountable in their sobriety. The Dopey podcast was started with open and honest conversations about addiction and recovery, and Soberlink encourages this to help rebuild trust and maintain sobriety. We at Dopey have teamed up with Soberlink to create a healthy habits guide for those in recovery. Visit www.soberlink.com dopey to download that healthy habits guide. And if you or someone you know can benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you'll also find a form on that page to sign up for a $50 off promo code exclusive to you guys in the Dopey Nation. So go to Soberlink, let them help you and your family to stay off of the sauce. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Buddy. 
I know I've talked to you guys about the Sober Buddy app before, and I still think you guys should check it out. But what I want to tell you today is that Sober Buddy has just opened up a crowdfunding campaign that allows you to own a piece of the company, which is super cool. You can help them raise the money that they need and they give you shares. It's a win-win scenario. You can purchase shares in the regular crowdfunding offering and raise capital for future expansion. You can find the link to their campaign on my website, dopeypodcast.com, or on their website, yoursoberbuddy.com. Sober Buddy has already helped over 30,000 people on their sober journey, and this is your chance to help them get their app out to even more folks. So check it out. Give them some love to support a product that helps people achieve sobriety, which is something that we at Dopey really love. And sign up for their app so you can have your own Sober Buddy. This episode of Dopey and the entire Toodles for Chris scholarship program is brought to you by New Harbor at Hingham. It is a sober home for men in Hingham, Massachusetts, founded by Dopey Scholarship Chair Justin and his partner Eric. They're passionate about helping guys find freedom to live a life of meaning and purpose through recovery as they have. Each client and family receives personalized planning and attention to give them the best shot at lasting recovery. Visit them at www.newharborhingham.com. Before we get to the show, I want to remind you that Dopey Patreon is booming right now. This week, we had Jed Shred. We did the DJ set with me and Justin where you can listen to some amazing music. There's video. There's there's new Ben & Jerry's ice cream videos where me and Howie are trying the flavors. Support Dopey Patreon. Support the show. It helps make the show more dopey. www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, buy gear. The newest and new praying mantis and mushroom gear is up at dopeypodcast.com. Buy hats, buy fucking beanies, ski hats, socks. Venmo me for that shit. Not to mention a bevy of super cool dopey stickers. Support the show. Buy the merch. Do the Patreon. And please subscribe to YouTube. We're fucking killing ourselves over here making YouTube. All right. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave and uh, we're back in New York City. And we are joined again by the lovely and talented and author and unlicensed advice columnist, Aaron Carr, author of Strung Out, which I want to say right now is available wherever your books are sold. So go get yourself a copy. Welcome back, Aaron. Thank you. How you like the sales pitch before I you're on? I love it. It's I love good. it. And don't forget, if you send an Ask Aaron question in through Patreon, then... I'll send you a copy of my book. I How mean, many copies do you have? I don't know. I have like a little stack at home. But no, people who, like half the people who wrote in questions, like don't give me their address. So, Right. That's a win. You, that you get the question <laughs> and you don't have to send the book. And also, you can send me your address if you want to get a handwritten letter by me. What about if you want a handwritten letter in the front cover of the book? Sure. It's like some deep, like... Well, there's only so much room. 
Well, yeah. that's enough. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like plenty. <laughs> um, now, Erin has been not been on the show, I don't know how long, but she's been on Patreon. Yes. So what that says to me is... I want more of you guys to be on Patreon. There's tons of Ask Aaron stuff. Yesterday we had dopey legend Jed Shredwards out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, who's a Buddhist, mm -hmm. and he's an old school Dopey Nation guy. And we did our first ever Dopey DJ set on Sunday with the co-writer of Good So Bad, my friend Justin, who I grew up with. And uh, I want you guys on Patreon. There's so much good stuff. I mean, I want your money, but I really want <laughs> you to enjoy the nooks and crannies of the Doposphere. It's pretty fun. And it's fun when people interact. I mean, there are a handful of people who interact with the Patreon stuff and the Ask Aaron stuff. And it's great. I love it. There's so much opportunity for dopes to interact with Dopey and other dopes in Dopey Patreon. That's my shameless plug. Aaron, how are you on this fine Wednesday morning? I'm really happy because my child went back to school today after we had to quarantine because he had an exposure at school. And how long was the quarantine? Eight days. If he, he could Because he's not vaccinated, he's only four. He could go back after eight days with a negative PCR test. We had Susan home as like a kind of residual quarantine. Right. And um, and also just because of like the germs of, of the world. I don't know. Like and Susan went back to school yesterday for the first day, too. Uh, so you feel free at last. I do. I do. It's there's a sense of, of of definite freedom from it. I can't get much done. But I did do a lot of cleaning last week. <laughs> Because, oh my god because i can kind of like uh you know if that gets interrupted i can go back to it if writing gets interrupted it's a lot different aaron's cleaning <laughs> is like it's next level <laughs> just next level shit she called me and she was like my new thing is to not have containers in the fridge so she bought a bunch of milk bottles right mm -hmm. that's what they call these glass bottles yeah, they're glass bottles i mean one has cold brew coffee in it i could imagine that you're the kind of person and i know that sounds like a negative way to start a <laughs> sentence but you're the kind of person that would have milk delivered on your doorstep in bottles i mean i sure actually i, I could see you get farm fresh wait, eggs and milk delivered to 9th street is my, that true we do not but when i was growing up in california we did the milkman would come it was not like the milkman like in the 50s, but yeah, they had a delivery service that would bring milk. And like, do you remember, did you ever drink kefir when you were a kid? Like that yogurt no, drink? No, no, no. It's really good, although I don't like it now, but I used to get peach flavored kefir. Anybody who's in California, there's like, um, I think it was Altadena would do that. They would deliver it. Okay. No, I, I like this house is like the anti kefir kind of a house. Right. Like we didn't get stuff like that right. here. We got very homogenized, <laughs> highly processed goods in this house. No, no, like raw yogurt drinks and stuff like that. Um, today we have a very exciting show. I'm very excited because we have an international yes. guest, uh, an international meme making maniac, Lowe's from Brutal Recovery, who's from Scotland. Can you do a little Scottish or no? Let me see. Um, you, see, when I do this, I'm going to do, I was going to do Gaelic. It's all right. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, but I don't sound the way she does. Yeah, my, my, <laughs> I, my, my Scottish. I don't sound pretty and sexy. I sound like a man in a pub. So you think she has a pretty and sexy voice? I think she has a beautiful voice. Yeah. She's an opera singer, too. I know. <laughs> so I asked her to do like some dopey opera stuff. Let's mm -hmm. see if she comes through. She That'd also may or may not do a dopey meme for this week. <sighs> she wrote me um, this morning and where I got sober in the in the group, the meeting 
that I got sober in this last time. It's funny because I went to so many detoxes and in the end I got sober in a room, mm -hmm. like a not a detox, mm -hmm. which is, you know, interesting to me. But there was a lady in the room, this Irish woman, mm -hmm. we, who everyone called Irish Eileen. And Irish Eileen married a dude in our group and they almost subletted my apartment. Mm -hmm. And then she moved back to England, ran into Lowe's and said, do you know Dave from Dopey? And it's like, cool, right? That is very cool. <laughs> international fucking... Dopes. Dopes. And I, and I, and I love international dopes. And, and I love all the dopes. But there's, big, there's a lot of news in the Dopey Nation that I would like to report on. My favorite news is there's been a new Dopey tattoo uh, birthed into the universe. The Dopey Buddha has been birthed onto Liz Ann's arm. And I, for Amazing. me, that's the culty of the cult. Right. You know, and not saying that Liz Ann is a cult member or, a that, good way. or that Dopey <laughs> is a cult. I'm just saying when somebody tattoos any, and, and this guy, Ben Crawford, who's a big time Dopey Nation guy, made this Dopey Buddha. Mm -hmm. It's super cool. Did you see the tattoo? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Super. Amazing. As far as tattoos go, I, I support this tattoo. And I think I like Dopey tattoos more than anything. It's pretty me. How many are there now? I don't know. I, I like to say 22, but I have no idea. Right. Uh, around there. Somewhere <laughs> somewhere in that in that ballpark. Right. But so I want to like, and Ben drew the Buddha. Ben does amazing work. Lizanne and Ben are both like pillars of the Dopey yeah. Nation community. So like, and you're not in the Dopey Nation Facebook community, which I find odd because you're so, you're so uh, extroverted on online. I'm I'm not in there. You're never in it. Oh, I, you know what? I don't. I think I don't spend that much time on Facebook. I think that's the problem. It's not. Pop, it's, you're I'll too cool. You're too cool it's for not, Facebook. It's not that. It's like I an mean, early 2000s kind of thing. It's very well. I think I didn't get on Facebook until 2007. I got in 2008. Yeah. I was late, but I was still high. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's such a trip. Do you know that? I figured out the last day that I did, did I tell you this? That I figured out the last day that I did heroin? Cause I don't count, I never like counted days this time. You never did. I mean before, but this time that worked, I didn't count days. Never even in the beginning? Mm -mm. That's interesting. Mm -mm. So what was the date? March 4th was the last time I used. And what was the 2003. year? 2003, so it'll be 19 years. In 2003, time. I think I was in treatment in Florida. Mm -hmm. So that's that was 19, when you met Sam. That was when I met because Sam. when I listened to the Sam episode, that's when I was the like, date oh, popped into yeah, your head. Yeah, yeah, that's when I was trying to figure out because he didn't know his date or whatever. So I was trying to figure that out, and I was like, I knew based on when the LA Marathon was. So that's how I figured it out. So that's nineteen years. Nineteen years. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, very impressive, and a lot of the Dopey Nation made fun of me mm -hmm. last, not this Christmas, but two Christmases ago, when one of the gifts I bought for Linda was a robot vacuum cleaner. And lots of the Dopey Nation chided me, got angry at me, and said, that's not a good present to get your domestic partner. Because it's that old thing of like every time, like for Mother's Day, you get your wife like a washing machine or something, it, like yeah, that kind I, of thing. It's like I mean, a, yeah, yeah, I mean, unless did she say that she really wanted one or no no i thought it was a joke i thought right. it was funny it was like a ralph cramden kind of thing i mean i guess if you got her other things and oh it was so like much a stuff oh uh, yeah then i don't think it's a big deal if it's like a funny side gift sure it was a and a, and a big garbage can too those those are my two <laughs> funny side side gifts that i i thought were hysterical she didn't really 
you know, we used the garbage can and we put the robot vacuum cleaner in the basement, never to be discussed again. Wait, you never used the robot vacuum cleaner? We never used it until recently okay. where I don't remember what happened. Some like horrible thing happened. Oh, we were in the in the living room. Linda was like sick in bed and Susan took a glass bowl and smashed it on the floor. She didn't just drop it. She she, she like it. chucked it down and it exploded in the fine glass yeah. crystals. And I was I think I was sick too. Linda comes down. It's a nightmare. And what comes to the rescue? That robot fucking vacuum. The robot <laughs> vacuum cleaner. And now, like, we don't go to bed without having robot running around the downstairs. And you have a cat. So, like... Yes. <laughs> your face. You have a cat. So, that like that's helpful, like, for getting cat hair. Because I have a cat. And so... I hope... I want the robot vacuum cleaner to kill the cat. That would be... That would be the most helpful thing. <laughs> but, so, everyone in the Dopey Nation who laughed at me... Now who's laughing? I, me. Yeah. I'm laughing. <laughs> um, so, and in other news, I have been, I mean, I've said this on the show a bunch of times, which tells me Aaron's not listening to the show. When did you say this I on say the it show? All the time. I said on the Sam episode. I said on all these episodes. I didn't hear you say, I listened you must to the be, whole Sam you episode. You must be pre, pre like, what's the word I'm looking for? You? Preoccupied? Preoccupied with your milk bottles and your fucking cold <laughs> brew in the glass bottles and shit. Her fridge looks pretty amazing. It's going to look even better. It's like the 1940s. It's, everything is sparkling and it's like the 1940s in 2022. Everything's sparkling and gray and popping with action. I'm going to tell you something that a really, it's a good mental health hack is if you take apart your refrigerator, it sounds a lot more time consuming than it actually is. Here we you can go. Take the shelves off, take the bins out. You just wash them with some soapy warm water, dry them off, put them back in, wipe down all your bottles, arrange things properly. The feeling, like the happiness and like sort of peace that it brought me was incredible. I think that's like a TikTok thing. Like I think people people do these organizational yes, TikTok yes. videos and you live for this kind of stuff. Love it. So this could be a whole thing. Yeah. And maybe Ask Aaron could become Aaron Organizes. No, there's way I mean, there's so many on TikTok. I don't need to go into that space. Why not though? You live for it. And and like yeah. and it looks very I mean, you she pulled out her phone as soon as she got here to show <laughs> me what her fridge looked like. And do you know how many thousands of people could bask in the greatness of your refrigerator? I guess. Now, I know the wheels good, are t are the wheels turning. It look as good as the ones on TikTok, though. How do you, but are you sure? No. I and I bet you you could get there. You're yeah. You're highly competitive. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you don't. I mean, you're gonna see one and be like, "All I have to." Do. It's like Linda with the charcuterie board. Mm -hmm. Like her charcuterie. Is it char or char? Charcuterie. Say that again. Charcuterie. Oh, give. You no know one says that. Okay, charcuterie. Charcuterie. What is that? <laughs> Norwegian? What is that? No, it's a French word. Say it again. Charcuterie. So if you're hanging out and someone brings it out, you say, oh, my God, that charcuterie board looks amazing. Charcuterie. So that's the quick way to say it. Yeah. I mean, I don't I won't really think about it. I mean, I probably say it all different sorts of ways. Do you want to hear something? This is a, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but really quickly. I say words differently all the time. I notice and I've been doing this letter writing thing, writing at least one letter a day, mostly to strangers, some to my friends. And when I write. I sometimes make a capital I with the line above and below, and sometimes I just do a line that kind of looks like an L, and I go back and forth. And you know, like you've listened to like handwriting experts, they talk about like people who have inconsistencies in their writing, 
Like that's like a sign of mental illness. <laughs> I think I remember hearing that. I could be totally making this up in my head, but I have some memory of that. Every time I see that I've done it, I'm like, does this mean I'm an unhinged person? Definitely. Yeah. Right. Definitely. But do you think <laughs> like, where do you think it comes from? Like, I know that when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I made this effort to write A's like this. Like, I made an oh. effort to do that, to right. write the fucking, I don't know, I thought it was cool. And then when I got a little bit older, I was like, that's not cool at all. And I stopped making my A's like that. And then there was probably a little time in there that habitually I would make yes. the, the stupid A. And then I went back to doing the classic A. So why do you think you do sometimes the the, I, the I, think, I that because way? I think I, t I think that I should do the big I. And then I just do the line because my hand starts cramping. When I type, I never use caps. I sign Dave, lowercase Dave, like I'm E.E. E. Cummings. I often in an email will just do like XX and then E. Like like your E.E. E. Cummings. Lowercase yeah, E? Lowercase E. I don't think E.E. E. Cummings But I'm not a lowercase person in general. Like all, I, and I'm not in all caps, but I like to capitalize words properly, even in text. I find that you are a person who puts effort into most everything that you do. So I don't know about that. Well, are, come on. Charcuterie. The fucking it's fridge, your letter writing. You put a lot of effort into a lot of things and you can say you don't. No, you know what it is? It's mindfulness. It's that it's like my attempt to try and be present because my brain is always racing. So it helps me like if I focus on doing something in that way, it helps my brain kind of slow down and helps me be present. Right. It's a great it's a great meditative tool to go slow and to be uh, have follow through get it done yeah um yeah. <laughs> and in the spirit of that yes like what we were just talking about was that i got when sam told me he was gonna quit the show i was like i gotta get into therapy because i called sam amazing uh, every day like 10 times a day so i got into therapy with my old therapist and i've done three sessions and it's good this makes me so happy. Why? Because. What do you fucking care about? Because I'm from the time that like we started hanging out, I have said that I thought therapy might be a good idea. No, it's been incredible. Yeah. Now, like things are happening that you wouldn't believe. And I owe it all to the wonders of therapy. And you guys could have amazing breakthroughs, too, because coincidentally, this podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash dopey podcast and, and get yourself some fucking online therapy because BetterHelp is customized. And I've been doing it on Zoom with my therapist. Yeah, I do Zoom too. So it's like exactly. online. It's the same thing. It's all about accessibility. All right. You should put that in the copy. Yeah. BetterHelp is customized <laughs> online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. I like seeing her on camera. I think it's nice. Um, it's much more affordable than an in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors. That's what I've been doing. And get some unbiased feedback. She likes, she, she's like supportive. Mm -hmm. She's like, she's a very supportive person in my mm -hmm. life. It's nice. It's great. I, yeah. I was, I was, I was like, what's happening? Why, why is somebody being supportive? Um, I always wanted a therapist who would tell me like, what's wrong with me? Like that's mm -hmm. what I craved mm -hmm. in a therapist, but it turns <laughs> out the support is way better than that. It's absolutely. So once again, this podcast is brought to you 
by BetterHelp.com. And dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast by entering B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash DopeyPodcast. Get 10% off. Get some better help right now. Right? Yes. I think everyone needs therapy. Now, I don't know if our next guest is in therapy. Does she say she was in therapy? Oh, gosh. I might have it in my notes. And, and, and she is a, a just an incredible example of a woman in recovery uh, from Scotland. She's like, I, I, she, I, I've encountered her through Instagram. There's a page called Fucking Sober, which I love. And the guy who runs Fucking Sober is this very sweet guy named Max. And he told me about Brutal Recovery mm-hmm. and, and her take on recovery and memes is very unique and it's very bright very feminine yes and and so many women i know who are in recovery have sent me her memes which is amazing but at the same time she's scottish which is fucking awesome best accent and um and she like did a bunch of drugs too Mm -hmm. and her story is very 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 uh captivating yes here we go lows of brutal recovery And, and she's kind of a dopey, uh, very important person. You're a serious addiction person for sure. Her name, well, she, she goes by the alias of Lowe's. She's from Scotland, and she does the incredibly uh, popular and fun and brilliant Instagram meme page called Brutal Recovery. Welcome to the show. Oh, what an introduction. Thank you so much. Are you kidding me? I mean, like, listen, like... How many people follow Brutal Recovery? I think at the moment I'm on, uh, I checked this morning, it was about 76,000, um, which is crazy. It's like, because I, I started it about three years ago just because I was really uh, resentful at how like, um, well everyone seemed to be doing on the internet. And I was like, oh my God, I still can't manage my emotions. At the time I had about nine months sober. Uh, and I still couldn't manage my emotions. Like I didn't have shit in the bank. Like I was just like, why is everyone like doing yoga and drinking smoothies? And I'm like crying in the shower. Um, so I just started making these like, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm Scottish. The way we deal with our life circumstances is humor. So I was like, I'm just going to meme this. And, you know, it sat on low numbers for a while. And then I think it was like at the start of the pandemic when everyone was confronted with their emotions and didn't quite know what to do that like the numbers started coming in and I was like oh my god this is something now like this is well I think I think I I was following you before the pandemic and your your style is different than the the other style and I think a lot of it is that you're a woman uh, like, mm. and your woman style is strong. The the female <laughs> style of brutal recovery is strong, and that's nice. And like the the brutality is definitely intact. <laughs> um, and uh, but what made you know that you could do memes at all? Like, I can't come up with anything. Nothing. Oh god, this is it's so interesting because I was talking to a friend about this. Um, who uh, he was like, you know, he's he's followed me for a while as well. And it seems like it seems quite easy on the surface. You get a picture, you put some text over it, done. Um, but it's like I he, he was like, I was trying to make some memes uh, and I just couldn't do it. Like, how do you do it? Um, and the way that I see it is like I 
as as an addict, as someone who was like, and I, I was born an alcoholic. I'm one of those like, you know, I was, just, I was just born crawling out of my skin and like feeling different and weird. And I was always like analyzing the world around me, and I was always like trying to like make sense of everything and like make it simple so that I could, you know, start doing it like <laughs> be a normal human being. Um, and you know the the idea of just like always information seeking and always like trying to like stay on trends and assign words to things and make everything make sense actually when you kind of reframe that like this is why so many comedians are in recovery so many comedians are sober because they have the same thing it's like you're always um analyzing and like a way of reframing that for me in recovery has just been kind of like laughing at it just like it's hilarious like I spend my entire life overthinking everything so putting it into a really simple visual format just it's it's a good processing tool but it's also practice like I was really you know if you scroll all the way down like my first memes are kind of weak like they're you know there's something there (laughs) but my my style has definitely uh changed and uh you developed know, and, and yeah, you've got a very developed meme style because like i mean <laughs> we're all i mean we we all come from kind of the same place like this this ridiculously overactive thinking self-deprecating self-hating self-centered spot mm-hmm. and then like we get into i mean like i was like that you know since i was a kid i i didn't connect it to my addictness or my alcoholicness even in recovery like i didn't it was it was a hard leap because i was just like a you know you're a scottish uh person whose humor is everything and i'm a jewish person whose humor is everything and like there's a whole universe of self-hating self-deprecating jews that never shot heroin or became alcoholics you know what i mean so it's like but when i did it you know when we started doing dopey it was just like to to like have fun and, and laugh and, and and do the same thing, but I could never figure out how to elegantly put it in one image with words. It's a whole and or a comedian like I don't know that I could write bits, but I think I'd be better at writing bits than doing memes. I think it's a very special talent. I really do. Hmm. It's uh, it's not something I can put. Maybe it's something I could put on my resume. I was going to say they're like I can't put on my resume, but maybe I can. I, I think you de- like- you def and nowadays you definitely <laughs> can. And I think I'm also basically buttering you up to ask for some dopey centered memes. So, <laughs> so can- Do you know, funnily enough, um, I recall quite early on there was one of my memes. Uh, it was the one the Robert Downey Jr. Sarah Jessica Parker yes. like about Rob and the pill cabinet. Yes. Like I remember, I opened my phone one day and I had like a hundred new followers in like ten minutes, and I was like, what just happened um and i saw that you shared my meme and i remember thinking oh my god dopey like sharing my meme i was losing my shit because i listened to an episode of dopey before i got sober i don't remember which one i don't remember anything about it but i remember at that time in my life just thinking oh my god here are these people talking about the things that i am scared to admit to myself like i can't even admit this stuff i can't even hold this stuff inside my body and they're just talking about it like it's the most normal thing in the world and that's what i want to do like through the easy simple visual format of memes i just want people to know that one day you're gonna laugh at this shit it feels like the universe is on top right now but one day that's just gonna roll off you um and you gotta keep laughing because you know what they all like if you don't laugh you cry maybe you can do both at the same time i frequently do you can you i mean you you're the the master of the crygasm which i've never <laughs> experienced can you explain the crygasm? i mean i actually i have i have the laughgasm like when things are at their breaking point 
and something happens, I can have the laughgasm. The crygasm I don't have so easily. Can you describe the crygasm and, and also the doom scrolling? All these phrases oh, I've kind yeah. of gotten from you. So please. <laughs> so I, um, few people know this about me, um, but I am the ugliest crier in the world. I don't like, believe you know, it. That, like, I, I don't oh believe my God. it. Okay, I've got visual evidence. I'll, I'll share it when this episode drops. I'll share visual evidence of how I cry. It's like you know when Kim Kardashian cries, um, and that face just goes all gurney. Like it's it's incredible. Like people, um, I was I was with friends. We're watching a weepy film, and I was sobbing, like absolutely sobbing. Um, and they were just like, "Oh my God, Lauren! For like someone with a symmetrical face, you are the most hideous crier I've ever seen in my life." That's awesome. Um, so, um, you know, the crygasm is just like when that valve gets released. You know, like when you, you and it, it it doesn't happen as much anymore because I've got a little bit more emotional regulation in my life. But you know that moment where you just like tip over into your cry, and you just you know like when. <laughs> You know, when you're orgasm, I mean, your face isn't necessarily the most gorgeous thing in the world because you're losing all control. It's that, but crying, like where you can't even edit yourself, where you can't even, you know, with the snots coming down your nose, your mouth is in a shape that it shouldn't be in. Your eyes are like crinkled to the point that they're going to break and you're just like letting it all go. So when's, like, when's the last time that happened? When's the last <laughs> crygasm? My last crygasm, this is actually really funny. Uh, it was... I, I, I had, you know, this, this, I just got back to work and, you know, work for me, but it'd be really measured. I work with kids. So I've got to like, you know, hide the fact that I'm a scumbag all the time. So it's like, you know, I'm very in control and very, you know, using my children voice and keeping everything light and breezy. So funny. So then, so, it's so funny that, that and, you should be like, and here's my meme page after, after the, and here's, I, yeah. I know like could not be further apart. So I was like getting to that point where I was like, Ooh, I've got a build up. Like, you know, my double life's getting a, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's not double life in the way that the alcoholic lives a double life, but like, it's, you know, you've got your work self, your self self. And I was watching, Oh my God, Titanic, like the most cliche film in the world with some friends. And I started crying about 20 minutes in and just like didn't stop to the end. And like my friends were like videoing me because they were like, this is, we have never seen anything this histrionic in our lives. I was just like letting it go. And you know what? That next day I felt amazing. Like I was just like, wow. Like I let go of something primal there. See, I think that could be a thing. Some kind of cry cry therapy but how do you get someone to like what do you do to like you can't just be screening titanic no one's gonna that's not gonna happen (laughs) um when do you suppose like i want to hear your story a little bit like when did when did uh alcoholic i mean you say you were born alcoholic and i believe you but when did you start drinking oh my god so i um do you know my first like I, I've been reflecting on this a lot recently, uh, and I think my first like addiction was probably anorexia, because I have always been so you know obsessed with like not being in my body. So I was like, oh my god, I don't have to be in my body if I don't have a body. If I weigh seventy pounds, like everything will be fine. I can control the life around me. Um, so when I found alcohol, I was about thirteen, um, and that. It's it's a strange thing to say, but like alcoholism gave me some relief from my anorexia. When did the um, anorexia develop? 
Oh God, when I was about 11, like I was quite young. Like it was, um, I, I was just like one of those like hypersensitive children. Like when I found out that the ocean was being polluted, like I lost my shit. Like at nine years old, I was like howling because like what's going to happen to the ocean? And then like I learned all about the rainforest and I was like, fuck, the rainforest going down too. Like what are we going to do, guys? Like that was that was me. So like, and I obviously like I grew up in Scotland and, you know, you think of your you're, you think of Scottish people and you think, uh, I don't know, what do you think when you think of Scotland? It's like You think of heroin alcohol, addicts, alcoholics. Heroin, yeah, yeah that, you think of that. Rage. <laughs> like, somewhere, you know, so. in, somewhere in the north of the United Kingdom, which is probably <laughs> not even right. That I, I, I like, you get, I like, this is what I think of. I think of heroin first because of train spotting. Mm-hmm. Um, of I think of, a, it's a beautiful accent. It's like, it is such oh, a beautiful yeah. accent. <laughs> like, because I, I waited tables for years and years. And if there was a Scottish table, like, I would just be like, tell me everything. <laughs> tell me your whole story, just so I could hear them. And and everyone says, fucking, in the middle of what yeah. they say, like like we do, but but in, the, in a, the most beautiful accent. Like, I don't like, I rate, this is how I rate, like, English-speaking accents, okay? Mm-hmm. Number one, is probably Scottish. It's it's. Yes. I mean, like I'm I'm kind of indifferent. Like Scottish, really Cockney English, really uh-huh. like rural Irish. Like I like all of that. I like, and then I like really really hardcore New York, uh, Bronx, mm-hmm. Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, then I'm like, I don't know. Then after that, it's like maybe like some kind of like real stoner California, and then like, <laughs> but then we dip into like the sub. The sub for me is like I don't like Australian accents. Like, controversial. I know. I mean, there's we have a lot of Australian fans, and I like their accents. Like, there's a very, very, okay. like, very renowned Australian dopey listener named David Masculani, and he's got an incredible accent. But Australians that I used to wait on their tables, I was like, I don't want to hear about mm-hmm. it. But the worst of all uh, English speaking accents is definitely the South African accent. For me, for my money. I don't think we have a lot of dopey listeners in South Africa. Oh my God. That's so funny because like uh, I'm dating right now and like I get really excited on Hinge whenever I match with a South African. Why? You like the South African accent. I feel like because I, because you know, there's only 5 million Scottish people in the world. We're quite rare. So like when people hear my voice, they're like, oh, that's a weird accent. So like when I I think I'm with a South African, I'm like, oh, this takes the heat off me. Like I don't have the weird accent anymore. They have the weird accent. You know, so I think like, my I think my analysis is also based on tipping, because South Africans ooh. are the worst tippers out of all <laughs> English speaking countries. They're just <laughs> terrible. And then there's apartheid and everything else. It's a fucking disaster down there. Yeah, um, it's like crack, yeah. Um, anyway. But <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> how do you how do you rate or do you, are you not as judgmental as me? What's your favorite English speaking accent? Well, I live in East London, so I'm like I'm really obsessed with the Cockney accent. It's like, amazing. It, it really, really does it for me. Um, I recall. So I lived in America for five years. I actually got sober in America. Um, Where I, I went, I, <laughs> Connecticut. No way. Where so in Connecticut? Yeah, New, New Haven, Connecticut. That's where I got sober. What were you so, doing there? Um, I was in grad school. Um, there's, I were you in Yale like, grad school? Yeah. So this is like all part. I was very much like a failing upwards drunk. So at the, I, I did a master's that I was failing uh, in Indiana. That I was failing horrendously. Like they literally were like, "Can you just graduate so you can leave?" Um, and then uh, the the Yale School of Music was like 
do you want to come here? Like, we've got this graduate program. We love your voice. We want. To, I'm, I'm a singer uh, for context. And they were like, we've got this, this graduate program. Like, we'd love to have you. We'd fund you. Like, come on over. And I said no, because I was fully intending on killing myself. I was like, listen, lady, like, I've not heard of any Yale. And I don't know what you're trying to make me do. But, like, absolutely not. And they persisted with me. Um, and then I went to... Um, I said no and they were kind of like okay call us back in two weeks so I went to Philadelphia and I got a hotel room for like a week because I love Philadelphia Philadelphia is like my favorite city. working town yeah working town it's a good town yeah like it feels like 1979 all the time in Philadelphia all the time and it's like Glasgow like it's beautiful it's industrial there's like the vague fear of being stabbed all the time like I thrive on that like that's my energy so I went, I went and got a hotel room in Philadelphia and I, I just got drunk for a week in this hotel room. I spent like my last dollar um, in this. And I, I, in my head, I thought I was like Bukowski. I was like, I'm going to write a novel. I'm going to write poetry. Like this is going to be the, the Philadelphia sessions. Um, that did not happen. I did not write a single fucking word. Um, I just like planned on killing myself or like just, you know, having like a really stupid like drinking a drug and accident and you know saying like peace out to the world and then um so so Yale called me back and they were like do you want to come like do you want to come like we we really still want you um and I had a, a contract that I was going to do back back in Europe and I was like oh, I was really 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 waiting to kill myself but what if I do this contract and if I still want to you know be a singer if I still want to be alive after this contract maybe I'll go do this stupid fucking grad program that they're talking about. What was the contract? Um, it was a it was it was an opera called Don Giovanni. Um, it was a what? Got, it was what? It was an opera. I was singing You can sing um, opera? I can sing opera. Yeah, man. That's my that's my secret superpower. You've got a lot of <laughs> you've got a lot of secret superpowers. <laughs> Right. You really did. But I also like jumped. I somehow I jumped from anorexic 11 year old you to operatic (laughs) Yale you. Um, We missed some years. No, the Glasgow years. I want to I want I want to hear the rest of this. And you wound up at Yale singing opera. I did, and then I had an, a horribly messy, embarrassing rock bottom uh, at Yale, and I thought they were going to like kick me out, but it was them that was like, "We're going to get you help." And for some bizarre reason, I was like, "Okay, like I'm done," and I have no idea why, because like everyone had been trying to help me my whole life, and I just like moved country. Um, but for some reason, like I just had, I always say it's like my little window of grace. I had that tiny window of grace where I was like, I was in the room with like a psychiatrist, a psychologist, an addiction counselor, and they were kind of like, we we want to help you. You're a mess. Hold on, though. And What's rock bottom at Yale look like? Rock bottom at Yale looks like you're in a production for an opera that you're getting called out for being shit at. Um, the director's raging at you. The costume mistress is raging at you. You just did a dress rehearsal that was absolutely shit. Um, you've... Uh, we're in the tech week, so they, you say, they say, if you drink on this, you're going to ruin everything. Do not drink. So you stop drinking and you go into withdrawal in the dressing room in a pile of coats on the floor <laughs> and <laughs> ruin everything. So, so that was, you know, uh, I got a lot of physical withdrawal symptoms and it was, uh, yeah, I went to the hospital and that's where they were kind of like, <sighs> this is, something, is, something is amiss here. And the show didn't go on or the show did go on? The show eventually went on, yeah. There was uh, there was cover, and uh, eventually I I got the the uh, 
the medical help that I needed and uh, it was you know there was enough space that I could kind of drag my carcass onto the stage for the show but like my you know that was my operatic career like I was just dragging my carcass about like that was that was it. I was not present I was just doing this thing and for, for a while in sobriety as well because like you know opera is so emotional and you get your body involved and it's so like you know it's literally screaming um it's like I was screaming but like I was internally screaming the whole time like my operatic career before recovery was literally me just saying like why can no one see how much pain I'm in why are they telling me that like I'm good at this I'm not good at this I want to fucking die don't you, you know? see I'm screaming here and then they're like no but you're supposed to be screaming because you're singing opera they're like right. oh so beautiful she suffers so beautifully um until that moment when I got help so so that's the end of the story we can go back to the start now if you like do you do you still like do you like singing opera do you miss it do you want to do it like is that a thing yeah, it's that's very much like that's in the kind of morally revealed state of my life. Like I, um, I did it for, I, I still sing, like I still do gigs and stuff because it's my job. I have a lot of training in it. Um, I kind of, I'm a little bit at odds with the with the industry. It's a strange industry. That's a whole other podcast. To talk all about that mess. But like, it's it's a strange art form, and I, this this is like quite a natural segue into like you know my my early years because I had this insane musical gift from a very young age, but I didn't understand why I could learn languages, learn music, memorize scores, perform all this stuff. But I couldn't understand. I couldn't control drinking. Like I couldn't control drugging. Like I couldn't. Um, you know, do any of those things without completely destroying everything that I had and then have to like scramble back for it really quickly. So like, I always thought that like, um, you know, I'd soon, I'd soon learn to control my drinking. Like I can memorize Italian operas um, and that never happened. So I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to opera. I would like that to happen, but I'm the past like two years that COVID has been going on and I've not been actively participating in the industry because the industry has not existed. Um, I have found like a lot of, you know, joy in my recovery work, in my, you know, in my meme page and doing, you know, other things. So because my addiction started so young and because it was so entrenched in uh, the, the music side of things, like a world that I didn't feel like I belonged in, but it was the only thing I had, I don't really I didn't really know who I when opera stopped I didn't really know who I was so like I felt like I was in early sobriety all over again like that sort of like oh my god like what's my favorite color like right. what do I want to do with remind remind me I? remind me who I am um yeah exactly when, when you're 11 and you're anorexic had you be, had you been a singer already like is that built in performance yeah okay uh, performance absolutely performance performance is a drug like performance is absolutely a drug. The adrenaline of people loving you—is like, it the I, performance that's a drug or the adulation? Oh my god, hand in hand, right. both of them. It's that the thrill. It's the thrill of the of the doing, and then the the love of receiving love. Right, and it's also like the the absolute pure thrill for me was like not having to be myself because myself was like a small child that was terrified about the rainforest and the ocean. And my person on stage was, the, was this, like, perfect child that everyone loved for doing so well. I was playing, like, a character from, like, the 17th century. So, like, that was perfect because I didn't have to worry about my life. Like, you were some kind performing. of Greta Thornburg meets Pavarotti in a Scottish <laughs> body. Oh, my God. 
God, I have to meme that in my life. <laughs> it's something like that, right? It's like, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, like you talk about, I mean, like I'm kind of blown away just because it's like, what, I mean, it's just, it's, you don't meet an opera singer who's like this crazy recovery meme star. And, you know, it's like, it went to Yale. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like to peel the onion here. It's a lot of, mm. it's, it's crazy, but it's like, that's how we all are. Right. There's always like something there and you're like, holy shit, I didn't realize that this was your thing. So, so when you're 11 and you're anorexic and you're 13 and you're like, I can medicate my fear with alcohol. Like how much did your performerness like, did that, how much did the alcohol inform the performer or, or aid the performer? Oh, or like, when did it happen? Who was like, here, this could help. Who, who did that? Do you know, I, I was such a depressed child that one day someone gave me, um, a, a cocodamol, which is, which is like an opioid. And they said, here, take this. This is What is it? A cocodamol? Co- what is it? A So like, it's like our oxycodone, like the really strong ones. Um, so, uh, yeah, they said like this is an antidepressant. It's it's going to make you not depressed, and it certainly made me not depressed. That works. <laughs> it really, yes, it worked. So yeah, that was when I was about. Um, that was about the same time I started drinking as well. So like, um, and like I, I like opioids are a huge part of my story because Scotland, and I always thought that like as long as I stayed drinking, that meant I wasn't doing heroin, and that meant that I wasn't um, dying as quickly. Scottish cliche, yeah, right. exactly, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, it's fine." Like, and when I, you know, I, I always thought like any time that I had an enormous drinking consequence, or any time that like I, you, you know, I, I just ruined. Uh, an event or you know didn't show up to rehearsal or was sick in the wings during a during a performance I'd be like guys why are you not proud of me I'm Scottish and I'm not on heroin like this is that's a thing you know how hard this is for me (laughs) well how how like first of all like was the opioid in you before the alcohol what did you like more first like what were your friends doing like what was the scene Mm -hmm. like the scene, okay, so I grew up uh, actually in a very rural community. Um, my, uh, I moved to the city when I was about 17, but I grew up in a rural community where there's nothing to do apart from smoke weed, uh, drink uh, cans in a park, uh, and do heroin. And, you know, and I, I didn't fit in when I was a kid. I think we can all relate to that. Like, and being, you know, an elite musician didn't fit in that world but then because I like had the music thing I didn't fit in like with you know the the, the other world because they were like oh here's Lauren like she's clearly a wreck head as well but like oh she's got that music thing so she's like not like us and of course that's all in my head like no one was thinking that but like in my head that was everything so like I found like the weirdest group of like stoner skater um like drink I, I think I think you know before the, the alcohol was more accessible the alcohol was easier and the alcohol was more um I could hide it in plain sight because everyone was doing it and then when I realized that um when, when I kind of realized that I could do that with you know no people saying like oh she's you know there's a problem there which which they didn't for a while it wasn't until I was like 16 that people were like Ooh, okay she's she's not like having a couple of cans in the party she's hiding quarts of vodka in her bedside table um I was kind of like oh maybe like the whole 
maybe the whole drug thing could work for me as well. And when I got a drug education in school, um, I don't know if this actually happened, but this is my memory, that they kind of were like, listen, lads, like drugs are everywhere. Do them safely. Never do acid. Never do acid. Because, you know, they told all the stories like, oh, there was that guy that peeled his skin off and you might walk out into the middle of the street. like, so Or he I jumps off a roof because he thinks he can fly. Yeah. Right. So I grew up with a deathly fear of acid. Um, but I remember like when they were teaching us about heroin, when we were quite small children, because um, they knew that we were going to come across it. And they were like, okay, so like, try not to do heroin. No. And then I remember putting... Really? <laughs> is that, that's like drug head. education in Scotland? Is like, try not to do heroin. Like, you know, like, if, like, it's not big, it's not clever, like, it's, it's progressive, but like, you know, um, try not to. And I remember putting my hands up and saying like, but what if I'm trying to walk away from drugs and someone just sticks it in my arm? What then? And they're like, they're not going to do that. And I was like, but what did they do? <laughs> so... So then, the hard Scottish know. questions from, from the young, the young elite uh, musician. I want to know when did you? How did you know? How did you become a young elite musician? Like, how did that happen? I was obsessed with the piano from a young age. So this is a really weird story. My story is full of really weird stories. So I was born uh, with my eardrums the wrong way around. Mm. So I couldn't hear very well, uh, slash kind of not at all. And I got them fixed when I was four. And I was, I don't have many memories of this, but I remember just like my parents would tell me like if I heard uh, an airplane, um, I would start screaming um, because like sound was so scary. And I was like, I was sensitive like to the core already. So it was just like, oh my God, it's like the world of sound is terrifying to me. So then when I just, I heard the piano once and I was like, oh, I, like this sound doesn't terrify me. So my parents, God bless them. My parents are sheep farmers. They have fuck all money. Hold on. But they you went, grew up on a sheep farm? Is that real? <laughs> that is real. I grew up on a sheep farm. <laughs> what does that look like? How does that work? I'm going to keep going down these paths because it's like I've never had an opera singer, sheep farmer, Scottish woman on the show. So I, I just need to like, you know, quell my curiosity. So forgive me. But I need to know. Addiction does not discriminate. No, Addiction it certainly does not. It's coming for the sheep farmers. It's coming for the opera singers. It's coming for, it's very obviously coming for the Scottish people. We are a very sick nation. Um, but I say that with love and I can say because I am Scottish. Uh, but yeah, like my my parents are eighth generation sheep farmers. They um, so they have sheep right now. Yeah, they do. They have a ton of sheep. It's it's uh, it's tenant farming. So it's like the Lord owns the land, and they hire the land, and they just farm the land with their sheep, and they take the sheep to market, and they sell the sheep, and that's how my lessons were paid for because they didn't have any money. So they paid. They would like butcher sheep and give them to my teachers. So wow! Like, so here's some lamb chops. Teach Lowe's <laughs> yeah. how to sing the high teachers, note. Teach yeah, how to break the glass with the high C. <laughs> yeah, basically. So like, it was all, that was also like a really conflicting thing as well because like I was always this little charity case because it was kind of like you know like when I went to music school it was like oh she's doing so well like here's the little sheep farmer girl and I was like oh my god I've been given this enormous opportunity and I cannot show up to class sober what is wrong with me <laughs> you know so. Um, but yeah, like rural rural communities are 
really, really interesting. And I used to kind of play it down because I thought that it took away from like my my street cred, you know. Because you want no, to like, it adds to it. No, are you kidding me? <laughs> Nothing sexier than a sheep farmer. Are you crazy? Don't even don't even think about it. There's nothing sexier than a sheep farmer. Um, okay. Now now I, now. When did you know that you were an elite musician or did it, was it obvious or did it take a ton of work or is that a stupid question? Honestly, I didn't know that I was good at music until I started teaching music because I always thought like, because I, I just thought that it was this weird thing that I knew how to do. Cause like, I never, like, I was, you know, when you're, when you're in a musical world, like you, you practice for hours, it's obsessive, it's all encompassing. There's cult-like aspects to the, to the culture of, of, of music. And that was just the world that I accepted. I was like, oh, okay, this is my place in the world. I guess I'm going to do it. And then I started teaching music and I found out that people did it for fun I found out that people really enjoyed it. And I found out that like not everyone could like instantly do it as soon as they started. So um, that's something that like um, I am starting to realize right now that I'm kind of like, oh my God, like I actually have this thing that like not everyone has. Like that's really bizarre. And like every, like music is for everyone. Like music is for absolutely everyone. And like my, my path right now is actually kind of finding like, how do I enjoy music? Because for a while it was this thing that went so hand in hand with my addiction that like every part of my pain is, um, every part of my story is wrapped up in what production was I doing at the time, you know, or what huge emotion was I hiding from in my perfectionism around music um or the fear i mean it's it's like this big stage i mean like my heroin addiction came in like i was a hardcore pothead but my heroin addiction really came in when i got like a tv deal like and it was like the the pressure of a tv deal and the money of a tv deal meant that i could Mm-hmm. I could afford heroin in my mind and it medicated my fear. And I'm sure from mm-hmm. production to production, like it ramped up the, the consumption. Totally. And it's, it's, it's a fear of failure and it's a fear of success. Cause like if I got success, like I wouldn't know what to do with that. I wanted to die in a hotel room in Philadelphia. Like I wouldn't, I don't want to be successful. Like that's terrifying. But at the same time, it's all I want. Like, I had a situation where I was scouted to audition for Christine on on Broadway in Phantom of the Opera, like one of the longest running Mm -hmm. musical theatres of all time. Like the lead role, like someone scouted me from a competition in uh, Memphis and they found my details. They were like, please come audition for us. We'd love to have you. And I flew to New York from Indiana where I was living at the time. And I remember like going past this, like shitty barbecue place and I was like oh like I need, I need a shot of vodka for this like I, I need I need a shot of vodka to get that high like I'm not going to get it without the vodka um so I got my shot of vodka like and also who gets vodka in a barbecue place uh this girl so um I and I didn't go to the audition and I, I told people I went to the audition and I was like oh it went well I just don't think it was the right fit I just didn't fucking go like, cause I just sat and got drunk in that shitty barbecue place on barbecue place vodka. Cause I was just terrified. Like what happened if it, what happened if it went wrong? Um, what happens if it goes stupid. right? What happened if it goes right? And you know, it's, it's that being trapped. <laughs> it's that absolute just being so trapped. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, wh- like I want to hear about the day to day in your, when your alcoholism is developing and you're doing from production to production. So I was absolutely a morning drinker. When I found out that um, that you could drink in the morning, that there was no rule that you 
<laughs> there was the police wouldn't come to my door if I started drinking a vodka in the morning. I was just like, oh, thank fuck. Like I have cracked the code to the universe. This Do you remember the I'm first time, come. the first time you were like, I can drink vodka in the morning? Yeah, it was, um, it was in a uh, master's. No, it wasn't in my master's degree. I remember in my master's degree that it became like, like I realized I could buy handles in America, like huge big fuck off handles of it. And I like this, that just sat on my fridge and that was like Laws's, that was Laws's like morning coffee. And it, it was actually in Glasgow um, when I was in my undergraduate. And I actually, no, I started with whiskey in the morning. So I was like, it's a morning drink. It's nice and toasty and warm. So I just like, put it in my coffee like every normal person. And, uh, you know, the, the hours were really, really long when you're in music school. Uh, you, you, and there's lots of things, you know, you go to acting classes, you go to movement classes, you go to dance classes, you go to your history classes and everything like that. And it was, it was just so much. I was 18. I was already, like, completely maladjusted to life because I'm from a fucking sheep farm and my only hobby was, like, drinking tins in a park and, like, desperately not trying to do heroin. Uh, so it was... Yeah, it was it was about my undergraduate when I was about eighteen years old, and it just became, you know, it was like it was like an every now and then again thing with uh, with whiskey, and then you know, I just became a morning vodka drinker because because it was just easy. Like that's how you deal with like a really stressful thing. The, the question <laughs> like, that's going on in my mind is like, on one hand, it's like you start using and drinking to cope with the pressure of of performance and of and and the anxiety around being good or whatever but at the same time i'm sure the music kept you out of being more of a train wreck also right yeah like like i'm sure there's a a shitload of people who had no gift and rather than going to perform and practice and and do all that stuff they just drank like do you think do you think the music was more of the thing that brought you in or the thing that brought you out you know it's so like right at the start when we were talking about like you know, alcohol really helped my anorexia like, because I switched over. Like music was this strange, like harm reduction for me because it's, um, and, and that's when I realized that like my, my drinking wasn't like other people because like I, oh, like I still love music. Like it's everything to me, but I was sacrificing it entirely for the pursuit of uh, alcohol and drugs. And it was, yeah, it was really like just these these warring parts of myself and, you know, sometimes one side would win and the other side would lose and sometimes the other side would win and the other side would lose. And I think that, like, conflict and that fight, um, I'm just really... So I got sober when I was 25, which is, which is relatively young. And I am so grateful for that because, like, I don't want to know what would have happened if I kept that fight up because the fight was exhausting. But, like, that, the, those strange conflicting parts of myself were what was what was strangely for as miserable and painful as it was was what was kind of saving me until I could find something better to save me something more you know less devastating and traumatizing to save me when did recovery even become a thought in your head was it just from these people at Yale or was there was it was it lurking in the distance behind the debauchery I got uh, sober sober by myself when I was 19 uh, did you think you were an alcoholic then? Like when you're a teenager, uh, were you like, I'm a fucking alcoholic, I'm a drug addict? Did you ever think of yourself in those terms at that point? 
Yeah, I deeply knew. Like, I deeply knew, and my life was just a testament to trying to deny it. Like, I really, really deeply knew. It was, um, and being a young woman, you know, because then uh, alcohol was so normalised in Scottish society that, like, you know, we had, like, our designated alcoholics, you know, like the old men, the homeless men. Like, And I was I was like a young woman with everything going for her. And I, and, and I knew about it, and I would make all of these excuses for myself, and I... But part of me, and, and that's one of the thing, the functions that I want my page to serve. Like, I really want my page to serve the purpose that, like, addiction does not discriminate. And, like, you don't have to look like anything to have this thing. Um, so, so, I, so I did know. And in retrospect, when I, when I got sober by myself when I was 19, which did not last long, um, I went psychotic. Like, I actually experienced a lot of psychosis because I was no longer medicating myself with thing that you know could that that made my life bearable and and it, I, I just thought that, like oh that's my mental health issues but in retrospect I'm thinking like god like it ran that deep that young <laughs> like it was it's really undeniable now was it withdrawal like what was the 19 getting sober look like oh so I had um I went to Italy with some friends to sing some opera and on the last night I got drunk. I, I met some, you know, strange Italian men in an alley, took some strange Italian pillows in an alley and I, my friends found me. I was absolutely catatonic. They, you know, had to take me home and it was someone's 21st birthday. Like, I'd, oh no, it was two people's 21st birthday. They had a joint 21st birthday. What was it all about? Me. So they, yeah, and, and my friends kind of sat me down and they were kind of like, we don't want to deal with you anymore. This has happened too many times. You have to stop. And I was like, oh, okay, like I'll get sober. So wait, um, you were the um, only you were the only drug addict alcoholic in your opera group, basically. <laughs> I was I was the designated alcoholic drug addict. And in sobriety, I have found other opera singers who are sober. So um, you were like Greta um, Thornburg, Pavarotti meets Bukowski, Burroughs. That, that's what we're that, dealing with here. <laughs> and we're just going to keep learning these. This yes. is a perfect personality chart. I love it. Um, yeah, and I so I went back to Glasgow where I was living at the time, and I, this this part of my life is such a blur. There was a lot of uh, withdrawal psychosis, and I would like be in corridors, mm. and I would I would hear I would feel like uh, people putting their hands on my shoulders. I would see like you know people running down the corridor in front of me, though there were no people there. Um, I would. Uh, go I would be walking home and then like an overpass would like come down on top of me I would always you know have visions of the grim reaper coming from me and then I started this dialogue with the grim reaper that I had to kill the grim reaper in order to you know save the world still just me wanting to save the world as always um and I'd make these like demented lists of like why I shouldn't like kill myself why I shouldn't die and they were like demented it was kind of like I can't die because I've not fucked Trent Reznor yet I can't die because I don't weigh 98 pounds yet (laughs) right these are my priorities. So this Goals. <laughs> cool. I still haven't fucked Trent Reznor, which is which is devastating to me. He's um, still around. <laughs> He's a musician. You should send him a tape. Trent, if you're listening, I live in East London. Like I've loved you since I was 13. I unironically adore all of your music. You know. You know that Trent Reznor is a hardcore dopey listener. He he writes me after every show. He's like, Dave, you're doing <laughs> you're doing an amazing job. A t- 
tiny bit of me there like leapt with joy because like I was willing to believe that for yeah. a second. Yeah. I am if I am willing to believe that I could fuck Trent Reznor, I'm willing to believe that I could stay sober today. That's going to be my mantra. I believe you could fuck Trent Reznor more than I believe Trent Reznor's ever listened to Dopey. So we'll say, we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it there. <laughs> so. I have Sorry, faith. I have faith in your in your plan. But you know, I mean, as as somebody with like one of the most important and compelling uh, addiction recovery meme pages, you can you can accomplish what you set your mind to. And if that's on the list, I mean, it's not an impossibility. <laughs> yeah, my priorities have changed in sobriety, man. I used to want to be an opera singer. Now I just want to fuck, fuck Trent Reznor like an animal. <laughs> Like an animal, oh my god! That song, oh my god, I, that song came on the tube yesterday. Um, <laughs> like not on the tube, like I was on the tube and that song came on my shuffle. And I had like th- that's so funny. This is coming up. This has obviously been in my mind. And like I was reflecting back on that time of my life because like one of my things, like when I wasn't like drinking, like one of my huge vices is sex, man. Like this year for me, like I, I, I have uh, my sobriety date is the sixth March two thousand and eighteen. So Say that again slowly. Um, the sixth of March two thousand and eighteen. Uh, so I'm coming up on four years. Um, but it was only like this year that like I realized like oh my god like when I start you know sex like puts me straight back into the addict mind so I've had to really work on that this year it's been an absolute nightmare um but the best and most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me just recovery but like it's been it's been gnarly so like when when closer came on my shuffle yesterday I was like oh my god like I was a fucking cretin like it was but let's 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 talk about that for a second because it's the door is open like when when sex you know I've had it where sex becomes drugs kind of because you don't you're gone you know what i mean you can have yeah. you can have sex and be gone you can mm-hmm. pursue it and it's 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 very similar because it's a way out of your thinking and it's also like crazy dopamine fucking hits yeah like 100%. like and sex is a big uh, it's a big topic on brutal recovery which is one of the reasons that it has a good different feeling cuz you you're always willing to go there and I think, Perfect. like as an audience, I appreciate it. As my, as as I am your audience, I appreciate it. <laughs> but I also want to know, like, um, like what was sex addiction or sex in recovery? Like, how did you manage it? How did you know it was bad? Like, like describe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally like I, I totally identify as a sex addict, sex and love addict. I'm really um, now now that I've got you know a year's worth of. Uh, not abstinence, but it's like some recovery there, like a teeny tiny bit. I'm well, like food, really food and sex, it. food and sex recovery are weird because abstinence oh, no, is no. like, you know what I mean? It's like, did you ever go to slaw or you don't go to slaw? Yeah, yeah, I do. Do you still go to slaw? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really important for me. Um, and it's it's a program that like, because my my spiritual rock bottom came when my slash it got bad. Like it was. You know, I, I was in a relationship when when I got sober. So like, there was um, it felt like that was like there was a lid on it at the very least. An American was, bloke. He was an American boy, so um, <laughs> it was uh, yeah. There, there was like this lid on it. Like I felt I could control it. Um, and God bless them. Like he got so much of my crazy sex energy. Like like my obsession around it because uh, he was the only thing keeping the lid on it. So like when we broke up and that lid like flew off. Like I you know, went on this rampage and I remember there was like one night that 
you know, I, I'm a my the, one of the main things that I love about my recovery is like the small but significant differences. Like I go to bed on time, I take my makeup off, I um, you know drink lots of water. I all of all of that stuff's really important to me. Is uh, but like there was this one night that I. You know, I went home with this guy and he was an absolute, my, my good friend Nicholas says that he, you know, he was a haunted pencil of a man with the face of a grave, ro- grave robber, grave robber, that's the word. Um, and he was, he was, wait, what? Nicholas. Give me the description <laughs> again, please. A haunted pencil of a man with the face of a grave robber. It sounds very, um, very, very like yeah. a prize, like a prize, prize oh, catch. Oh my type. Right. Uh, so he, um. And I was text, I was text, I was uh, calling Nicholas as I was getting ready to go on this, and he was like, "Lauren, I literally would rather that you go see Jack the Ripper right now. Do not go see this man." And I was like, "Okay, cute." Like I just hung up on him and went. And I remember thinking, like leaving his house, like, did I accidentally get drunk? And I didn't. I did not drink a single fluid. Um, <laughs> but I I remember like feeling, you know, like drunk. Like I was not in my body. I was not in my mind. I couldn't remember the past hour of my life. And then I went, you know, back to my house, like 3am. I like slept in my makeup. I didn't drink anymore. And I called my friend at like six o'clock. Like I feel like suicidal right now. Like I feel in active addiction. Like I've, I've crossed a barrier. And like he was, he was the final of, of a long January rampage. And it was, it just reached that kind of breaking point but you know another dimension of my illness in that arena is you know the the crazy fantasy and the future tripping and all of the stuff associated with like finding someone and being okay like being loved be my yeah like being that that's my tranquilizer that's my anesthetic like if someone just like I can glom someone onto me that will love me forever I won't have to take care of myself and I'll be okay always take care of and I'll be okay yeah, like the complete refusal to believe that I could be okay by my own. And like when it, when it, like this last year of my recovery has probably been the most profound because like I finally got into the weeds of that. Like, and it was, yeah, it, it was really, really, really painful because I had to be confronted with the prospect of being alone. But then I remembered that like I'm in recovery, like whether I want to be or not, I will never be alone because there is a bunch of lunatics out there just like me that know exactly how I feel. And how lucky is that? Like how amazing is that? And Well, they need you. They need you just like you need them. I mean, the thing that I hear at my meeting that I used to find to be very cheesy was I go to the liquor store by myself, but we get better together oh, you know like I all the all that Little stuff it's like that they do it for me they totally do it for me and that was the stuff that i used to like you know cringe at and roll my eyes at before but now i'm just like no like that that's it like i i can't deny that and the more that i denied that the more psychotic i was there's a term like yeah it was and it's beautiful it, it really really is beautiful and i I think that, you know, brutal recovery becoming kind of like a community, like seeing people in the comments saying like, hi, I'm three days sober. I can't cope with my life. And someone saying like, hi, I just hit six months and I feel a little bit better. Or someone saying like, hi, I'm seven years. Like, have you have you tried this? You know, I think that the those little things, like I had no idea that brutal recovery would turn into that. But even like those tiny little moments are so important. Uh, and, and to watch that happen in, in a little online space for 
unhinged people is it's it's perfect i love us i love us so much well it's an imprint it's an imprint that you get to make and then it ripples out but when you when you get abstinent and you get sober from alcohol and sex becomes the ism mm-hmm. like what was like how does that happen like and ha- i mean like i i i you know i i i think when i got into recovery like i i dated one person and then i got back together with my daughter's mother and like you know what I mean? Like I was set in terms of there wasn't dating. It wasn't that ocean of chaos of dating and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but when you talk about sex addiction in recovery, it, it supplanted the alcoholism. Yeah. You know, because it's never about the sex, really. Um, I, I remember very little of the sex I've ever had in my life because it was never about the sex. It was about the self-esteem. It was about the... Filling the hole. Feeling that God-shaped hole, man. And you know what? Here's another dimension of wellness. Every single time that I would I would hook up with this, I would binge afterwards. Like I would order like 50 pounds worth of like frozen yogurt to my house and just like slam it into my face. Like it's not working. It's not working. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> um, you know, and like that's yeah, it's it's really just substitution. Like it, it was just that substitution for me and like What's that? There's it's another platitude like deal with the shark that's like close to the boat, and like the shark that was closest to the boat for me was like drugs and alcohol, like that was killing me quickly. And uh, when you know when my relationship ended and the lid flew off and my sex addiction said hiya, like it, it it ebbs and flowed, and sometimes I was on top of it, and sometimes I wasn't, and sometimes it was you know life ruining, and sometimes I got into a good place with it. Um, but like it's. You know, the, the only thing that helped, or not the only thing that helped, but, like, the first thing that helped was, like, being honest about it. Because, like, I always thought that, like, it was just a cute and quirky part of my real personality. Like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm just this hellion slot princess, so cute. And then I was like, oh, actually, this is ruining my peace of mind. And, like, God did not drag me out of the fucking sea to destroy my life with, with emotional this. Right. vampires. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So, now, now yeah. that's interesting to me. Like, I think that, I mean, that's the deal though. Like we're, we're just like, we're like on some conveyor belt and it's like this thing, then this thing, <laughs> then this thing. And it's like, but then the fucked up thing or the question that pops into my head is like brutal recovery is this, yes, it's this beautiful, uh, it's funny, it's smart, it's, it's a community, it's all of those things. But then it's also us like on our phone seeing who liked it and what does that do for us? And like, mm. so like, so how does like that shark coming up to the boat? Like, how do you cope with that Ooh, when it's professional yeah. kind of thing? So I, uh, yeah, I, I have lots of boundaries in place over this already. I think uh, I will have to place more. Uh, I, the, the main thing that changed for me is I never wanted to talk to my sponsor on my network. And when I said I, this, when I said this, I picked up the phone because they didn't see, they didn't see. There's the visual. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I really never wanted to talk to my, my sponsor on my network about it because I thought that it was like silly and I thought that it was fun and I was kind of like, oh, I don't want it to like make it seem that, you know, I don't want this to be an issue. So like, um, you want to protect it I'm, kind of the way like people protect, protect their drugs or their yeah, alcohol too. A hundred percent. So like I And it also I is think, it also is your superpower. Like opera singing was your superpower. This is your superpower. Right. I protect dope. I'm the same way with dopey and I I don't mm-hmm. want anyone to take it away from me because it's so precious right. to me. You know? Absolutely. Um so 
Yeah. Oh my, I relate to that so much. I'm so glad you said that. I feel so validated right now. Like, so, so I eventually like had to talk to my network and my sponsor and my therapist about it. And just, you know, so we never get to the point that I'm like performing recovery, you know, so that I'm never, you know, making it insincere, disingenuous so that I can rake in more likes and get more love. I said at the start, like I've always just wanted the most love. Um, so I've turned off notifications. I've turned off like seeing the number of likes. Um, if ever I get a DM that is going to kind of disturb my peace a little bit, I have like an instant delete policy. Uh, what would be you know, a DM? I, what would be a DM that, uh, and, and for people who don't know, that's direct message. My dad's like, <laughs> what's a DM? Um, for, for, for like, what's a DM that could disturb your peace of mind? Do you know, I get, I get a lot of strange DMs. Like, you know, some people say, you're not an alcoholic, you just have BPD. Or you're not an alcoholic, you just have autism. And I'm like, wow, are you a doctor and do you know me? No. Um, or some people say, like, what you're doing is disgraceful. How can you laugh at this stuff? This is killing people. Mm. Um, <laughs> always comes from non-addicts, funnily enough. Uh, so, I mean, and bless them for they do not know. Um but yeah, it's just like anything like that, anything that's a little bit confrontational, anything that's, you know, someone questioning my validity to be in recovery spaces, anything that's like people, um, you know, like people, people love to pick a fight on the internet. Like that is uh, a fact that will permeate the ages. And I love to pick a fight on the internet. So I know that I need to not do that. And that means that, because like I find myself getting into, you know, because I, I talk about things like trauma and I talk about things like, you know, psychiatric diagnoses and stuff. And if, you know, those are th some things that people are like, that has nothing to do with addiction. And so I'm like, okay, but these are the same people that are telling me that like, I'm not really an alcoholic. So, and that's such a small subsection. Like, I want to make it really, really clear that's such a small subsection of, you know, the people that uh, are in my DMs. But like, if I'm engaging with them, if I'm going into a spiral where like, we're both utterly convinced of our own rightness, I'm not helping anyone. I'm not messaging back the person that's saying, I've got three days sober and I don't know what to fucking do. You know, so <laughs> it's taking I, up the know, space. It's taking up the valuable space right. where you could be doing some somebody some good. Right. If I'm obsessed, if I'm replying to a DM indignantly convinced of my own correctness, that's not a DM I need to be replying to because I know what's true and I know what's right and God sees me as I am. So that's all I need to. That's all I need to do. <laughs> what about what about getting high on likes? Um, mm, yeah, that was really, really, really hard. So if, if I have a meme that does well, I'm having a good day. Right. So like I've had to really um, just kind of surrender the outcome. I, you know, I can get a little bit, I used to, not so much anymore. Um, I used to get a little bit obsessed with if a meme hit a thousand likes, like in the first hour, that meant it was good. And I could be like, okay. Um, it means you're good. I, I'm a good person. It means, it means I'm <laughs> right. okay. Yeah, it's okay. I'm getting the most love. Um, but what I've realized is that when I'm trying to be funny, I'm not funny. Like, I'm only funny when I'm being myself. So, like, if I'm engineering responses, if I'm engineering things to get the most like, and this works in, like, real life as well. Like, if I'm putting on a fake, fake persona so that people love me, it's not going to last. And it's I mean, not going to serve you. It's not going to serve me, yeah. So, uh, if ever I'm trying to, like, alter myself for more likes, I, I get less, like, fewer likes. 
Um, and if I find myself like getting like really, you know, obsessive over like, oh, my, my median is low or my growth is low, like, I, I just really have to check it. Like, I have to kind of do like some opposite actions. Like, how much am I participating in my enjoyment of life? How much am I participating in my recovery off the page? How much am I participating in my platonic friendships and just kind of, you know, getting getting the balance there? But, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely not perfect. That's what I want to show with my page. It's like, I am in recovery, but I am chronically imperfect and that's okay. Um, so long as I can deal with the consequences. Sure. And it's, uh, yeah, like I, I go backwards and forwards with it and it's, it's really perception based as well. Like I, I really, really have to kind of like just, you know, shift my, my perception of what, what is meaningful and what is good. And then I have to say, Lauren, I'm just straight up just giving my real name away so many times right now. Like, you never said Lowe's. You said Lauren like 20 times, but that's okay. It's pretty close. <laughs> oh my god! Um, yeah, just like saying, uh, you know, is it that deep? Is it really that deep? You no. know, as I, I, if I get a like, that means I made one person laugh. Today. No, but I see that it another happen. way. I see it. It's like I can like kind of pseudo shame you for getting high <laughs> on likes, and I get high on likes too. But like, really, the point is, it's like let's say it's 1961 or 62, and you're selling records. It's like there's nothing wrong with selling a lot of records and feeling good about it. Like, <gasps> like that's not Ooh. that what. That's not a bad thing. It's like it's like this is your business. It's like it's okay to feel good that you had a good day. Like if I sell a party for my stupid deli job, it makes me feel good and there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, it doesn't need to make me feel like okay, I I I'm not a bad person. Like and 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 I suffer the same thing, you know, but it's not black and white. You know what I mean? It's like it's like we can feel good. I, I can feel good if Dopey does well, if like if mm-hmm. an episode does well, or if if I put. I mean, like my fucking Instagram presence is so sad. Like, and 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 it's like it's just like, but it's like it's like it's all relative, right? It's like I'm sad to you. You're sad to like Greta Thornburg or Pavarotti. You know, you know what I mean? It's like it's all relative. But the fact of the matter is, I think that we can't live for likes. But it's okay to enjoy them, right? It's okay to enjoy them, absolutely. Like, my main peace in life is not coming from, like, eating cupcakes. But, like, if I eat a cupcake and feel good about it, well, until, like, the next shark closes to my boat is food, which, like, it's probably coming. No, I'm (laughs) sick. I'm sick with fucking food. I'm, like, I'm sick with food at night. It's like, it's madness. Like, my day is difficult. Like, my day is difficult. Last night, yesterday, I worked from the morning until the night. There's a kid from my meeting, right? And um, he's, he's like, on trial in Ohio and Florida for dealing fentanyl and stolen merchandise. And he had to fly to Florida today to deal with the stolen merchandise thing. And I was like, and I had been planning on interviewing him for months and I never did. So I was like, fuck it. So I ran out and I interviewed him for like two hours, this crazy story of like fentanyl dealing and body brokering and all this crazy fucking shit. And I get home, it's like almost eight. My daughter is, my little daughter is just eating dinner. I have to put her to bed. I've been going since nine in the morning. The second I'm done, I'm literally shoving 
anything with chocolate into mm. my mouth in bulk, you know, until I know that like, and I used to do it in waves. Like I used to have like maybe three uh-huh. waves of binging on chocolate in a night. Now I just do the one wave, but the one wave is way too much. And I do it like, I don't get anything out of it except for in that moment, just like the sex, just like drugs, mm-hmm. alcohol. But And then afterwards, I do feel shitty. In the morning, it's in my prayers. Like in the morning, I say, please help me not shove all this stuff into my mouth tonight. But come nine o'clock tonight, I'm going to be like, come on. Like, and, and I'm nervous about being pre-diabetic and, and all these things. Like, and I'm, I haven't been to the doctor in fucking five years. You know, I know, I know it's like a perfect storm. I know. So that's my food issues. Like what, what, what does your food issues look like? Oh my God. My food issues today. And I don't mean to overshare with you. I just want you to get a a sense. I'm here for it. Like, yeah, I love it. Like I talked, um, so I have like the anorexia bulimia pipeline. Like I started anorexic and then I had, you know, I, I, I was, I have not had a bulimic relapse in about uh, probably nine months or so. But like I, I thought that, you know, I started bulimia when I was 15. So good. Thought I invented it. Like it was, I was like, oh my God, I can. Another superpower. Myself. Yeah, my superpower is bulimia. Um, and then when I got sober, like one of the, um, I, I got some bulimia recovery and then I've had some spotty moments with it as I go. Um, but yeah, like for me, uh, funnily enough, um, in my, so I've started a podcast recently with, uh, my friend, Rebecca Rush. Um, sorry, you can't see the video, but I've just like smudged my makeup here. Um, <laughs> just for context for people listening, why I was so upset there, my beautiful winged eyeliner is ruined. Um, so my, uh, I started a podcast with my friend, Rebecca Rush called Brutal Vulnerability, uh, where we get like really brutally vulnerable about you know things in recovery, things in you know just human be, being a fucking recovering human being from this prison planet. And one of the the first three episode arc we did was on food. We did an episode on anorexia, we did an episode on bulimia, and we did an episode on food addiction. And it was one of researching that was one of the most challenging things because I really had to go into my own food shit and how much I still I do self-medicate with foods um and I also self-medicate with restrictions sometimes like when I'm wanting to control my life when I'm wanting to control my feelings my surroundings I'm just kind of like oh what's one thing I control like I cannot eat today and it's oh my god even like on the this is so like as I said, like a wee while ago, like sober dating right now. And like, I'm trying to sober date, which means meeting people in public rather than at their house, you know, getting to know someone before sitting on their face. And it's like, you know, you got to go for dinner. And I'm like, oh my God, like sitting opposite someone with a plate of food when you've had a history of anorexia, bulimia, but also compulsive eating, which is in direct relation to sex and you're on a date. That is a fucking nightmare. Like, it's So what so do you hard. do? Like dinner, might, you should probably not do dinner. Well, I, I, Go I, for a walk. Does a walk count? Can you go for a walk? No. And That's I not a date. A date isn't and a walk. I want everyone hear me when I say did walk and go, my friends hate me for this because they love walking a coffee as a date. I do not. I will not be walked. I am not a Labrador. What about a museum? You know I- <laughs> museum in the evening. Museum <laughs> I mean, evening nice. date. That sounds nice. I don't know. I. <laughs> 
how do you cope with being eating disorder at a dinner date then without alcohol and like probably not trying to have sex on the first date? Like what, <laughs> what's happening in that situation for you? I mean, just practice really, like just practicing doing it. Like, cause conversely, like I love the idea of going out for dinner. I love the idea. Like I'm a fucking princess like I love getting my nails done I love getting my hair done like I've become really fucking feminine this year as I've like found myself nice um so like I love sitting down and talking I don't want to walk because I don't want to mess my hair up I don't want to go out into the elements because I don't want my makeup to run like I want to sit in beautiful lighting and be admired by someone I uh, and it's yeah it's been challenging like I did go out for dinner last night on a date actually and it, I remember like I was thinking, like, with him, like, oh, my God, like, he's really, really, really good to eat food with because he he was just, like, a really casual person. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't finish, like, what I'd ordered, like, because I was so stressed by eating in front of someone. So I was like, oh, I'm full. Do you want to finish this? And he was like, yeah, I'll finish this. And I was like, oh, this is so informal. Yeah, nice. So I've... <laughs> I time with someone that's good to eat food because they'll finish my meals when I get stressed. Because um, I don't want food waste because I'm an environmentalist. Um, was it a good so, date? Was it a first date? It was a third date, actually. Yeah, third date. That sounds third, like yeah. highly <laughs> exciting. Yeah, it was good because it's all practice. Like our my first dates with people, like I call myself a one date wonder because like a lot of the time I don't get a second date, but it's because I need practice. It's because I need practice being myself I need practice like in this arena I can't expect to be perfect at it straight away I'm you know I'm a delusional fantasist but I'm not delusional enough to believe that I'm going to just meet someone and they're going to instantly be my soulmate like no I need to practice being a normal fucking human being and also like being the weirdo that I am like you know just getting that like balance right so it's all practice and like that's what people ask me this all the time I think this is like number three ask question on the page like how do I date sober and honestly I think it's just practice like you just everything just is just practice, practice. so sex yeah. after the third date or no sex after the third date <laughs> I my ideal is six dates um and I sometimes fall short of that ideal did you sit um, on the face la- <laughs> face sitting last night or no face sitting? no there was no face sitting last all right well this um, is this I was is a good girl last night I think like <laughs> I think this has been awesome I think there are so many I think that we, we're, we're going to keep the door open for the next appearance of brutal recovery because we didn't go down the we didn't go down the drug hole but I had such a good time no. chatting with you oh yeah like Oh my God! There's we we have scratched the surface, my friend. <laughs> my my daughter just slipped a note under the door that says, "Can I have lunch soon?" <laughs> so I think that's going to be the end of our interview. She has COVID, so I haven't I haven't sat in the room with my daughter and and since since uh what's today today's Tuesday since Friday. So I, oh I so I have to go make her lunch, or I'm a terrible Lovely. father. Um, <laughs> but I think like you're awesome. This has been so fun for me. I hope you had a good time. I always ask, did you have oh, a good time on the show? I did have a good time, and I'll finish on this. I was so stressed about doing this. Why? Because, like, because Dopey gets like actual like 
celebrities and you know we talked about this and I was like listen like I'm just a wee scumbag from Scotland and you said oh we're all just a wee scumbag from somewhere so that put me like totally at ease and yeah I've, I've had a whale of a time whale I, of a time that's good <laughs> whale now, of a time. <laughs> now I want I want brutal recovery dopey memes I want a fucking opera mm-hmm. a dopey okay. opera thing okay <laughs> And and I I want to like go on your podcast. It's called Brutal Vulnerability. Yes, Brutal Vulnerability. It is a podcast uh, where me and Rebecca we just talk about the things that polite ladies don't discuss. So like like sitting on faces after the second date, like perhaps sitting on faces. I think that's even been covered so far. I believe so it. If you I believe if you it. Want, yeah, if you're all about. Very, very recovery-orientated women that don't have a filter talking about things with lots of scientific research and lived experience. Check out our podcast. I'm very excited for it. Well, I'm excited for it, too. And thank you so much for coming through. Thank you. All right. That was quite a treat to have uh, Lowe's of Scotland, England, Yale, Brutal Recovery on the show. Aaron, ask Aaron, what do you think? Well, first of all, I could listen to her talk all day (laughs) her voice is so pretty and i love a scottish accent i know you talked about about accents a bit and scottish is like it's my favorite accent i really think so and uh i also agree i don't really love a south african accent sorry south africans i don't know if it's like i was thinking about all the accents i put down in Mm -hmm. this interview and i stand by them yeah you know south african it's like I don't know. There's just, uh, maybe it's because of apartheid. Like maybe, like maybe that's a piece of me disliking the South African accent. Is that possible? Isn't Elon Musk from South Africa? I don't know. Why do I not know that? I don't know like what it is about an accent that bothers, you know what I mean? Like that Mm -hmm. would bother somebody. Like I like a Southern accent. Mm -hmm. I like a Texas accent. Mm -hmm. I like a, I love a Boston accent. Really? I love it. Wicked Chowder. Wicked awesome. Let's get some chowder. I love it. Oh, I, I live like, for it. In Massachusetts, like every direction is like, you got to go past the old Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> but that's great. I mean, I, the Boston accent, when Chris was alive, mm-hmm. I did the Boston accent all the time. Because mm-hmm. also when I waited tables, I would encounter accents right. and I would and, and I would be so bored during mm-hmm. waiting tables that I would do the accents with the other waiters. Right. And I was never good at it. I was just incredibly enthusiastic right. about it. You, you know? tune in. <laughs> I just, it was fun and I would mock them and then I would, I would mock Chris. And, and so, yeah, I, yeah, I feel bad that I don't like the South African accent. I don't love the Australian, the New Zealand. Uh, although, like I said in the thing, Dave Masculani has an accent that I can live on. Right. I could have him narrate my, uh, my memoir. He might, <laughs> he might do my audiobook if he's up for it. Um, I thought that she was just. I mean, she's brilliant, and, and it comes out... Making memes, it's like people say, oh, you should just make memes. It's so much harder than you think. I can't make memes. Neither can I. And and she has a real unique meme voice, mm-hmm. but obviously she has a real unique voice, like in a brain that yes. processes things in a way that the memes just come out of she's her. She's smart. You know, she's I mean, smart she's, she's smart and she's funny and obviously very talented. I was like, I was blown away by her story and and related to a lot of things she said. Like she was really young when she started her journey as I was. And I totally related to the idea of just trying to do anything to get out of your body. Her first thing was like anorexia. So I related to so much of what she said. Um, I, <laughs> I, 
I understand that that thing that she talked about that like alcoholism gave her relief from the anorexia and relief from this desire to like shrink away because that's what heroin did for me. It gave me relief from like wanting to kill myself. Right. Heroin just gave me relief from like worrying. The anxiety. Yeah. And and I think that it's also interesting, like in her case, the way it was all wrapped up in her kind of her, not her, her success, but her ability and the pressure of being yes. a young person who's competing and, mm-hmm. and who, who is elite. Like I was not an elite mm-hmm. anything. Like the, now I'm an elite podcaster, yes. but I was never an elite. Any, were you an elite an equestrian? An I elite? was an elite equestrian. You were? Yeah, yeah. Elite. Yeah. I Did was you ever competing. jump through a flaming hoop? No, that's not a thing in, in a circuit jumpers courses. I think that could make you an elite, <laughs> but horses would probably feel. No, I mean, I was, I was on the track to go to New Jersey and train to try and try out for the Olympics. Like that was my path. I had George Morris who used to, I mean, now he's like been ousted from, from equestrian sports because of like, you know, inappropriate behavior. But I was supposed to go and, and train there. He was my trainer's trainer and came and scouted me. And, you know, it was a thing and horses kind of saved me for a while. And then I had an injury and drugs kind of saved me. I didn't write that much about horses in my book. I I had a chapter that I went into it, but they were a big part of my life. Maybe the third book is just heroin and horses. Heroin and horses. Flaming hoops. And, you know, they call, some people call heroin horse. So. I know. <laughs> Do you think, like, like I feel like, I find, and, and I don't know anything about equestrian mm-hmm. stuff, but when I watch it, I find it to be incredibly boring. Mm-hmm. Now, and I, I see you making a, a face, <laughs> but, like, and I, I was making a joke about jumping through a flaming right. hoop because horses probably fear fire and right. could be burned and there could right. be a lot of bad stuff. But I bet you they could really spruce up the entertainment value in an equestrian show somehow like i feel like speed Mm -hmm. like longer stretches like kind of like galloping and jumping and maybe jumping over streams well that's what they do in like it's called eventing and in eventing there's a cross-country steeplechase is basically that a steeplechase is speed over really treacherous cross-country i like the sound of that it's very dangerous for the horse and rider i know people that do it but like it's something i I, my mind with horses is that they should be doing something that they, that they also spiritually enjoy. And you can tell when a horse likes doing something or or doesn't, the racing industry is a little problematic to me. I think even show jumping can be problematic, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of sort of rules and safeguards in place. And, and I'm a big proponent of like natural horsemanship and, and things that really put the health and safety of the animal first. Wow. That's a mouthful. That's yeah. good. We went, <laughs> me and Susan went to the aquarium last mm-hmm. week and like we caught the end of the sea lion show and they're talking about training the animals. And, the, and it's like, why do a, why does a seal need to be trained at all? No, like, it doesn't. Like, it's like when I was a kid, I was like, this is amazing. This seal is going right. to learn how to do so many important things. But now you know that the seal doesn't benefit from this training. No. Do you think- it's just entertainment, right? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I guess it, I'm sure there are aquariums that, that rescue animals, but... And then enslave them. Yeah. When when, uh, when we went, we went to, we went on vacation years ago to uh, the Bahamas, I want to say, to mm-hmm. uh, Atlantis. And we had the opportunity to swim with a dolphin. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved dolphins. Yeah. And I didn't really want to swim with one, um, but we did. And the feeling I got was that the dolphin was an alien slave 
like an alien that now is a slave to, yeah. to, to us. Yeah. And like, that's the worst. And, and I, I, I would imagine the horse, the horse thing kind of probably feels a little like that here and there. I think it can for sure. I mean, I, I think that there are all different ways that people keep horses, but I think that it's, again, like, I think that like part of the beauty of like horses and human beings is that there can be a really symbiotic relationship where there is nonverbal communication. That's why you know, I know people joke about like equine therapy and rehabs and stuff. But Who jokes of, about equine therapy? I don't know. I've ran. heard people like make jokes. Haven't you made jokes about no, that? No, but I mention equine therapy right. on every show. So uh, the reason that it can be so helpful is that they're like they're prey animals, right? So everything they do is reading energy. And part of what happens with somebody who's been through trauma and a horse is there is an, a nonverbal way where they learn to trust each other. And it's a two-way street because to gain trust you also have to give trust what does a prey animal mean that other animals prey on them yeah so so they're constantly attuned to their environment and to the energy of the people and other animals around them but in north america like what was preying on horses bears mountain lions like what was the horses what was preying on a horse and, and there are no wild horses in Africa. There's zebras. Like, where yeah, are horses? Wild ho there are still wild horses in America. Right, but there's no fucking giant monster that's going to eat them. Right, but, I mean, historically... But what it, what animal is the horse, is feeding on horses? Now? I don't know. Uh, historically. Historically, probably wolves, I would think. Well, wolves would probably be the most... Wolves, coyotes, like any kind of... Something that could that run fast and, like... You could take a horse down by damaging their leg, and then they're fucked. Interesting. I didn't think Dopey was going to go down this path I know. today. <laughs> so what else, what else you got about Brutal okay. Recovery? So um, there are a couple of things. I, I mean, of course, it was like fascinating. She had her rock bottom at Yale. I mean, how many people can say that? Um, I also, you know, I really... I think a lot of people can understand they may not be opera singers performing on a stage, but I think a lot of people can understand to, you know, that idea that they're doing something where they don't have to be themselves. I all through like my active addiction, it was about me playing certain roles for the people in my life. Right. I was a little literal actress at different times in my life and, and an actress just in my everyday life. So I understood like what she meant by that. And I think a lot of people who are performers of any sort can relate to that. Like escaping, um, escaping. Yeah, escaping into right. a performance, right? Then they don't have to be themselves. Um, I thought it was really funny when you said that there's nothing sexier than a sheep farmer. <laughs> I have that in my notes. Yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking about editing that part out. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, though. And this one I had to write down because I was like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. When she said she was talking about sex addiction and somebody she was going to meet and her friend said to her, He's a haunted pencil of a man with the face of a grave robber. And she <laughs> says that in the most amazing it's voice. It's so good. And I was like, oh, yeah, I totally know that guy. And I thought what was also important when she talked about sex addiction is that it it does become a drug. And it's all about, like, looking for that dopamine hit the same way which you also led into a discussion of, like, social media and mm. likes. And I think, you know, 100% we can relate to that. Like, this thing of, like, you want the likes, you want the validation, you want to be the one that like is, you know, quote unquote winning at this, right? Well, at anything really. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's interesting because where does one thing, like where is competition healthy and where is it unhealthy? Right. Like why is, I mean, she's in the like business. Yes. Like why can't she be lauded for getting likes? Right. Anyway, but then again, 
I, I don't like the fact that if my Instagram doesn't hit a hundred, I want to kill myself. Right. Like, I don't like that. <laughs> no, I totally know. I totally know what you mean. And I love her, her sex uh, addiction stuff because she's, she's just putting herself out there. Totally. And it's something that like women get shamed for so much that I just really always appreciate when a woman is able to talk about sex openly. Um, and there was a lot that she talked about that I relate to. So I, we agree. We loved brutal recovery, Love brutal recovery, Lowe's. love Lowe's. I think she's, I love her voice so much and her accent and it was just great. She's, it was such an energetic, fun. Listen, I, I, I agree, and you guys should check out her podcast, Brutal Vulnerability. Sure, it's excellent. You get to hear her and her friend. And uh, I, I, I endorse whatever Lowe's is putting out. And that reminds me also that you guys should fucking go to Dopey YouTube. Nobody goes to Dopey YouTube. It's like a fucking ghost town of it's daily reflections. It's a ghost town. It's a ghost town of daily reflections, which is my own fault. I, refuse. I have to tell you, like, I don't watch the daily reflections that often. What do you have to brag to the Dopey Nation? <laughs> Nobody watches it. Nobody's watching it. I, I, I do watch the Dopey YouTube stuff, but I don't watch the daily reflections. Either. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly spiritually, spiritually gifted. Spirit, I'm a spiritual... <laughs> Giants. I mean, and part of sharing that, my wisdom. I mean, Are because, you fearful? Because, no, because so much of it is about AA stuff. Like a, it's based on a, you talk about the AA traditions and like all that stuff, which is great, which is fine. But like, I'm not in AA. Listen, check it out. Mm -hmm. The daily reflections have taken a turn away. Okay. It is shorter, quicker okay. to the point, different camera angles. Howie's out because <laughs> he hasn't been around. Right. It's, it's newer than new. And if you are looking for a little dose of spirituality, Check it out. But we're about to relaunch Dopey YouTube with new stuff. I have, you know, and I have ideas for new stuff. <laughs> Better stuff. Look for some Aaron stuff on Dopey YouTube. It's coming. And also, we just put out the, the, the sickest new Dopey hoodie with the praying mantis yeah. on the mushroom. So check that out at dopeypodcast.com. There's tons of good stuff. I still have a shitload of gear. And someone accused me of not shipping quickly because I say I don't ship quickly. I ship pretty quickly, though. I shouldn't put myself down. I uh, ship pretty quickly. I think I need to get you a little digital scale and show you how to do it. If from you home. a digital scale, that'll. I want. <laughs> I want a, a digital a scale. scale. <laughs> I want it. I'm gonna. I want to do that. And I'm. And I'm shipping good. So if you guys want the beanies, and I have a beanie for you. Also, stamps.com could sponsor Dopey, and then you could do it through stamps.com. I signed up with stamps.com, but I didn't know how to use it, so it's in the attic. <laughs> If you guys want beanies or snapbacks or socks, Venmo me, write me on Instagram, and I will get it out within a week. Within two weeks, it will get out to you. Before we move on, I just have to say one last thing about the episode. Yes. In my notes that you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> For just a checkup. I know. I'm scared <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm scared like diabetes is in me. And, and my children are going to be fatherless. This the is, dopey, dopey podcast is not going to have me anymore. It's going to be over. Katz's is not going to know what to do. You got to just go to the doctor. Just make an appointment for a physical. I'm doing it this week. Okay, good. It's, it's on the you table. You heard it here. So next Friday, we'll get a follow-up as to whether or not you made the appointment. I will, I will do it. Okay. I'll, and next week, I think we have a fucking fire fucking dopey episode. If not, if not next week, I mean, I'm sure next week's episode will it's be fire. It's going to be good no matter what. <laughs> However, the, we did this, this interview with this, I did this interview with this kid who's like fucking fentanyl dealer, yeah. body broker, mm -hmm. going to prison. Look for it coming up. It's, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, Intense. it's pretty dopey. So I got a note 
that I really want to read. Uh, I love hearing from people in the Dopey Nation. And I got this one on, um, and it says, I just started intensive probation back home in South Dakota. Been listening for a few months now. South Dakota. Uh, hitting meetings. Uh, all that you and Dopey Nation help me see I can make it. And this is giving me an opportunity to truly shine. That's nice. I'm not so much concerned with dropping hot, which means pissing with positive thing, as I am a nervous pisser and I live in fear and anxiety all the time now of the stress with not being able to do my UAs. Any stories or helpful advice out in Dopey Nation or Ask Aaron? To pee, right? You need to know like if you've gotten nervous. I don't know if it's different. For a man, but like... I don't even know if that's a man or a woman. I think it's a man. Oh, yeah. I just assumed. Isn't that terrible? I think it's a man. Um, I I mean... Okay, this is going to sound so stupid. Do you think it was a man because he said dropping hot? Yeah. Okay. You don't think a woman would say dropping hot urine? You could. Dopey Nation, are you a woman who says dropping hot urine? I've never once said dropping hot. Well, I knew you didn't. (laughs) I'm constantly dropping... My urine's hot (laughs) fucking, you know, with or without drugs in it. I'm constantly dropping hot. Well, here's the thing is that I used to have trouble peeing when I was high. Like, it just wouldn't come out. Yeah. So, obviously, you know, running water, but then also... I would do like multiplication tables in my head. That's what did it for you. Mm-hmm. So I know that sounds stupid. But it's relaxing it the brain, untangling. Mm-hmm. So my advice, what I always did was, if I hear running water, mm-hmm. I need to urinate. Mm-hmm. It's my dad's <laughs> <Alan>. phone. <laughs> Jesus. It's funny because no one's writing me that they miss my dad on the show. Really? I miss I miss my dad on the show. Yeah. My dad did not like uh, our the Gabor stuff. Because really? I, because it's he doesn't like to get blamed for my addiction and oh, stuff. He always has right, a problem with that. Right. Now, what I do to unta- I wonder what my dad does when he's having a hard time urinating. I know what I do is I think of the water dripping. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in the bathroom, I'll mm-hmm. run the sink. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm not, what I always did with with my daughter when she had to pee, and she, whatever was happening, right. I would go. Right. So you do that to yourself. I do it to myself. And I, and I, but I've never had a hard time urinating right. in front of, my dad never said peeing. He always said urinating. Yeah. He never said peeing. My a, mom never said peeing either. I wonder if it's like a, a New York Jewish thing because my mother-in-law who's from New York and Jewish does not say pee. She always says urinating Does as she well. say jeans? My dad only says dungarees. No, I don't think she says dungarees. And when I grew up, I'm embarrassed to say this, but when I grew up, there was no poop. There's only bowel movements or BMs. Yeah, I think that's what she says as well. I don't know. Or she says pish. No, she says How no, she says, make, says pish. she says make a sissy. Yeah, my grandma used to say that. <laughs> my grandma says do you, have, do you have to make? That's what my grandma right, would right. say. Right. She doesn't like hearing the word pee. Right. Jewish people don't like it. Yeah. It's beneath them mm-hmm. somehow. It's interesting. <laughs> really weird. Um anyway, so that's our advice. Dopey Nation, if you have any uh urination advice, please let us know. Yeah. So look for my dad coming on a show soon. I'm sure he's dying to come back. He's in Florida right now. He's having a nice time. Nice. And thank you for coming on. 
Thanks for having me. Look for Ask Aaron on Patreon, yes. YouTube, the new Dopey YouTube. Aaron will be featured. And come participate. Come participate. There's going to be a new Dopey call-in show, which I'm excited about. Oh, see, that's the best. That's your time to shine. Oh, uh, I, I would love, I mean, that's, you know, the dream. That's the dream? Yeah. I think I can make that dream come true. <laughs> and um, leave a review. Leave a fucking five-star review and say something. Review Aaron's book on Amazon. <laughs> Fucking send in a voicemail, send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you're going to write me a long thing on Instagram or Facebook, just send an email. It's way easier for me to keep track of. If you didn't get anything in the mail from me, write me an email. I'll get it out too sweet with my charcuterie board. Um, all right, Aaron, thank you for coming through. Thank you. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. So good, so bad.